Hello and welcome to Chasing Phantom, the podcast about Broadway's longest running shows. Welcome back. It's been a month since I've done a new episode, so I hope you haven't missed me too terribly much. I want to give a big thanks to anyone and everyone who gave a listen to Didn't Read It, the podcast about books that ran in this feed a couple weeks ago. It's the latest from my podcast partner, Grace Todd, and I think it's pretty entertaining. Uh, She did an episode recently on Dr. Faustus, which is a nice theatrical tie-in, and I think sometime soon she's going to let me on to do a Waiting for Godot episode. But who knows? These millennials, they're very fickle, so we'll see if I show up there or not. I'll let you know. For this episode, I have three relatively quick things to say up front. First, this is my 10th episode of the podcast, and I'm really enjoying it, and I hope you intrepid listeners are also having a good time. If all goes to plan, there are still more than 100 episodes to go, so I want to make those as enjoyable for you as they are for me. So please, 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 if you have any comments or suggestions or complaints, please send them to TimberToddPods at gmail.com. Again, that's TimberToddPods altogether at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from any listeners. Next, as you probably already know from the title, this episode is about the 1999 revival of Annie Get Your Gun. And in a second, I'll transition into a very fun and kind of sweet interview I did with actress and singer Robin O'Neill, who starred in the show back in 2005. But one thing we didn't really get into in our conversation was any kind of deep dive of Tom Wopat. There's a lot of conversation about this particular production uh, in terms of Bernadette Peters and how how well suited she was to the role. And then when Reba McIntyre took over, how great she was. And I just wanted to do a short little rave up on Tom Wopat because I think he kind of gets lost in the mix. Uh, if you go back and look at the reviews of the time, he was pretty well lauded. I mean, Ben Brantley said, Mr. Wopat, who is best known for the television series The Dukes of Hazard, is the only cast member to emerge from the production unscarred. He has a pleasant singing voice and an effortless low-key presence. I've looked at the clips, and I would have to agree. Other critics said, uh, Variety said, Tom Wopat is an appealingly manly Frank Butler. That's really the only mention he gets in that review. But again, looking at the clips, he does a great job. I mean, he's got a good voice. It's a solid voice voice. He has a very unaffected stage presence. And I think he's really good in this role. And I'm kind of surprised and think it's a little unfortunate that he didn't get a little bit more um, praise afterwards. Talking Broadway, for instance, said Tom Wopat's Frank Budler is a strong, aggressive leading man. He's handsome, virile, charming, aggravating, funny, and in every way believable as Annie's object of desire. So again, with that kind of raving going on at the time, I'm surprised we don't think of Tom Wopat as like a great Broadway leading man. He went on to do 2008's A Catered Affair and also 2011's Catch Me If You Can. And I went back, I went in to a little Tom Wopat rabbit hole and listened to the cast recording for Catch Me If You Can. It's pretty good. It's got a couple really cool nuggets in there. One of his co-stars is Norbert Leo Butts, and they have a great duet on a song called Little Boy Be a Man, which uh, I would recommend. It's worth giving it a listen. He'd smack the tear from out my eye. He told me, grow up, kid, you're no Peter Pan Little boy, be a man But you want to do your So again, better, don't right? forget about our pal Tom Wopat. I will say, his more recent recordings, he's 
done some albums as a recording star. He's done some probably ill-considered covers of some James Taylor songs. He has a solid voice, but I wouldn't put him in that league exactly. Anyway, for Broadway, I thought he did a great job. I think he did a great job in any Get Your Gun. So my shout out to old Tom. Finally, I wanted to apologize because there were a couple snags with the sound quality of Robin O'Neill's interview that is coming up, particularly early on, but I wanted to reassure you, it improves during the course of our chat. So if you'll just have a little bit of patience at the beginning and listen all all the way to the end, I think it's worth the listen. She drops in a very quick little side comment right at the end that I think adds a nice little button to the whole conversation. So um, give it a listen and here we go. I'm here with Robin O'Neill. I'm so happy to have her here in the booth with me. Hi, Robin. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Good. I'm excited. Good. Me too. For those of you who don't know, Robin O'Neill is a graduate of Shenandoah Conservatory of Music, but most people who know her at all know that she's been a singer and actor in Central Virginia for a few decades now, a little while. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen her on stage, you may still have seen her work because she has been the go-to headshot photographer for many actors in Richmond. So you may have seen her work on playbills all around town. And specific to today's topic, Robin was kind of the Richmond, Virginia surrogate for Bernadette Peters for several years. Uh, She's played the same role that Miss Peters did in shows such as Sunday in the Park with George, Gypsy, and most relevantly for today, Annie Get Your Gun. She was in a 2005 Barksdale production that was modeled after the 1999 Broadway revival. So, are you excited about talking about Annie? I am. Nobody asks me to talk about, you know, Annie, get your gun. I'm I'm happy to. I love it. Well, good. Yeah, they should. More people should be asking you about this. (laughs) So, let me give a little bit of background about the production. It was the 1999 revival. It ran for 1,045 performances. It started with a out-of-town trial at the Kennedy Center. And the only reason I mention that is the Washington Post did a great story about the changes that they made from the trial run to the Broadway production, which is always kind of interesting to think about how they're engineering these shows. Uh, It ran on Broadway from March of 1999 to September of 2001. It won two Tony Awards, one for Best Revival of a Musical, and another for Best Leading Actress in a Musical that went, of course, to Bernadette Peters. It also won a Special Drama Desk Award for Reba McIntyre in 2001, which I think is one of those weird, interesting things about this production, in that it was a big starring role for Bernadette Peters, but coming out of it, Reba McIntyre got kind of a a lot of the acclaim. Yes, deservedly so. Uh, when it ran, it made $82 million at the box office, which is $181 million in 2023 dollars. Um, I think that's the basics we can talk about, but did you see the show? I did. I saw the out-of-town tryout at the Kennedy Center. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes. Wow. And as you said, I, and you know this, I have been obsessed with Bernadette Peters since I was probably 13 years old. Oh, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> literally stalked her wow. when I lived in New York. If I knew she was coming out of the theater door at Sunday in the Park with George, I would wait wow. so that I could see her. Yeah. So I love, love, love her. And I saw the I saw her and Annie Geer gone at the Kennedy Center and was so disappointed. Oh no, really? Yes. I did not love her in it. Wow. Why? I really didn't. I just I thought she was 
kind of cartoonish. Oh, no. And I wondered if it was a director thing or maybe just a director saying, oh, it's Bernadette Peters, let her do whatever she wants. Right. Now, the fact that you said that they made so many changes by the time it got to Broadway, right. I don't know because I didn't see her in it. Okay. I did see Reba McIntyre, though, and you would have thought that the role was written for her. Really? Okay. I mean, she was so good. So, so good. Yeah. My tiny baby brother who's never read a book. I had two. Knows one sex from the other. It's just hard for me to realize now that it was such a breakout for her because since then she's done a lot of things, but it really was kind of the first time that many people saw her act. Yeah. I mean, who knew? Right. <laughs> but yeah, she was amazing. So when it came time to do the production in Richmond, was it something that you kind of knew out of the box that you wanted to do? Were you? Yes. <laughs> we were. I had just finished doing their playing our song at Barksdale. Okay. And we were at a closing night party and... Bruce Miller would sometimes indulge us in the what show do you want to do uh -huh. kind of conversations. Sure. And I remember saying, I want to do Annie Gator Gun, thinking in my mind that I would. I knew how to do it better than Brenda Peters did, <laughs> which is so stupid. But, you know, I, kn I had ideas about it that I, you know, I wanted to do it. Yeah. And, um, so he, and he was like, oh, that's a great idea. Wow. So, you know, in 2003, mm -hmm. he... We mounted it, and I did it. Okay. It was the most fun ever. Really? I mean, it was so much fun. Yeah. It well, really was. So I should say for the audience out there, it's based on, it, it was an originally a 1946 production starring Ethel Merman, and we'll be talking about that down the road a piece, but there was a lot of changes made. I should also say there were two revivals before the 1999 revival. So At least. At yeah. least two. Well, and so there was the first Broadway revival was 1958 after the 1946 original production. And then there was a revival in 1966 where Ethel Merman came back in the starring role. Interesting also that Jerry Orbach was in that production, which I didn't realize. Oh. Yeah. And then, I forgot about that. And then so then in 1999, one of the big things, I mean, definitely Bernadette Peters coming back was a big thing. But Tom Wopat, who most people knew from the Dukes of Hazzard, right. even though he had been like a musical theater actor, came in to play Frank. The story, do a quick recap. It's basically the story of Annie Oakley, the you know Wild West sharpshooter. And she meets up with the Buffalo Bill Wild West show and... There's a back and forth fight with Frank about who's going to be the best shark shooter at the same time they're falling in love. So classic Broadway story. So what most appealed to you about the role besides the fact that Bernadette had done it? <laughs> Honestly, it, the thing about the show that I love the most is the, the songs. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's the score is there's not a bad song in the show. Right. Well, yeah. actually, there were a couple of bad songs in the show, but they took them out for the revival. <laughs> nice. So that is that's the most appealing to right. me as yeah. a singer. You know, I just wanted to sing those songs. Sure. But also it's just it's just so much it's a feel good, fun and and there's a lot of sparring. Yeah. Like I mean there's a lot of sparring right. between Annie and Frank that's a hoot. Yeah. I can jump a hurdle. So I would say I just loved the show, and sure. I just was like, I want to do that. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a, it's a hard show for me to talk about because, one, I've never seen it. Big shame on me. But also, it's a show that is almost... I know, I know the song so much better than I know the show. Mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe true for most people. I mean, there's no business like show business. Everybody knows that without any context. There's no business... Like show business, like no business. 
Uh, I remember teaching our kids anything you can do, I can do better uh-huh. from the time they were kids. And that's the kind of that sparring that you're talking about makes it such a playful show. Yeah. No, you can't, can't, can't. Yes, I can, can, can. One of the kind of key scenes in there is Annie's doing, has to do some trick shot that kind of impresses Frank and makes everybody see what a great sharpshooter she is. How did they do that in your production? How did they do that scene? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. You mean the first one? Yeah. Where she she... comes and she beats him in the contest? Yeah. How did we do that? That's one of those things I just wonder how that gets staged. I don't remember. Yeah. Some of the stories I read about the revival, they talk about wanting to make it trickier or fancier or making it a big, you know, a bigger deal. Yeah, I don't remember. Now, when we did did the show at Toby's Dinner Theater back when I was in college, okay, Toby actually had a horse. No, she actually brought a horse. Wow, into the theater and had her like ride around on a horse. (laughs) That's crazy. Totally insane. Yeah. Yeah. No, we did not do that. How do, mm, there's so many, that brings up so many questions. How do you deal with a horse as part of a show? I know. Oh, mm, all right. Well, one of the things that's really hard for me also to talk about the show is there's very few clips of Bernadette Peters in the show that I've been able to find. I don't know if have you watched them. Have you seen them? I'm sure I have something at my house if oh, you want to see it. Okay. I'll have to I catch up with you later. I probably have Reba McIntyre's, too. Okay. The Ethel Merman movie mm-hmm. is out there. You can see that easily. It was very hard for me to find clips just of Bernadette Peters. My mother was frightened by a shotgun, they say. That's why I'm such a wonderful shot. How aware of you were the changes from the original production to the revival, and how much did you talk about that? Well, here's an interesting thing. Yeah. First of all, I knew the old version because, like I said, I had done it at Toby's. Sure. But when Phil paid the rights for the... Phil Whiteway. Mm-hmm. Phil paid the rights for the show. It is my understanding... Okay. ...that he bought both versions. Oh, wow. So that we could pick and choose... Okay. ...what we wanted to use. Wow. And the structure of the new show was what we mostly did. I mean, it was more of a show within a show. You know, they start with, there's no business like show business. And um, Buffalo Bill comes out and says, oh, I'm going to tell you the story of Frank Butler and Annie Oakley. And then they start and they introduce all the characters and stuff like that. So we used that structure and most of the, most of what's in the revival. Okay. Now we did cut the subplot, oh. the Winnie and Tommy, there's a little, there's a romance between two of the dancers in the show. Okay. Cut them. Cut, I'm an Indian too. Okay. Which was awful. <laughs> Cut, I'm a bad, bad man, which is Oh, awful. really? Okay. Uh, not awful, just not as good. It's not as good a start as there's no business like show business. Right, sure. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones we did. Oh, well, one thing that we did do is in the new version, they did Sun in the Morning as a hoedown, which we did not do. We went back to the old jazz version of it. Really? Which I really liked a lot better. And I feel like there was one other thing that we took the orchestrations to. Oh, I know what it was. It was uh, Lost in His Arms. We used all of the, you know, Ooh, background singers <laughs> for Lost in His Arms, which I did not love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't care that I didn't love it. So oh. that's what we did. There you go. How I felt as I fell, I just can't recall. But his arms held me fast. 
So your co-star, your your Tom Wopat, was Russell Rowland. <laughs> yes. We've done uh, a bunch of shows since then. Yeah. So yeah. how was it working with him? How did, Was there interpersonal sparring as well as sparring on stage? Not really. <laughs> I mean, we have, a, we have a really fun time working together. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot of competition between yeah. us. We work really well together, and he's crazy supportive, and I hope I am. You know, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, we had a really good time, though. Well, that's good. Yeah. And, you know... He's a lot younger than I am. You don't have to say that on, <laughs> on the mic. <laughs> Nobody would know the difference. So, you know, a lot of the commentary about it is about how you take a show that's obviously set in the late 19th century, and it's about Native Americans, and how do you make it work in today's environment? Was there much conversation about that during the show, during the production? None that I recall. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you had, you had so Michael... You had Michael Hawk playing Sitting Bull. Right. And, you know, was he directed in any specific way or he just took off with it? He just, <laughs> I don't think he was directed in any specific way. I mm. mean, I think that was before we were talking about it as much. It probably would not happen today yeah. the same way. Right. Yeah, it's weird because yeah. even with all those iconic songs, it's the kind of show that you would love to see. And it's got so many interesting dynamics and from what I understand, one of the ways that they changed it was in the final shootout between Annie and Frank. Annie originally like kind of misses on purpose so that she doesn't bruise Frank's ego. And then they kind of changed that and then they changed it back. And then I feel like he missed on purpose, too. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that they changed to kind of make yeah. it more egalitarian or something mm-hmm. like that. But I do feel like it's one of those shows that it has so much baked in kind of problematic stuff, but it also has so much good stuff. How do you make it work today? Right. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. The that, That's the biggest one is, you know, the um, the sitting bowl. Right. Everything else, I think, is works okay. But, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I'm not really sure what you do about that now. Yeah, there is. It feels to me like there's a way to make it a female empowerment story. I've seen you in enough shows to know that you are kind of effortlessly an empowered woman when you're on stage. Oh, and thanks. Yeah, and I think that that is that's a great way to play this show is like sure. she's not necessarily trying to upstage anybody. She's just really good at what she does. Right. <laughs> and I and I think that's what we were doing mostly. Yeah, I went back and read a lot of the reviews and stuff like that, both of the Richmond production and the Broadway production, and it was interesting because the Bernadette Peters reviews were generally positive, but mm-hmm. then when Reba took over, they were kind of glow it was kind of notched it up to a whole nother level. No silver, got no gold. What I got can't be bought or sold. I got the sun in the What was the kind of reactions that you got for your performance? Well, I I mean, I don't remember what the reviews were. I I think they were good. <laughs> they but were. We, yeah. I, I think they were good. Mm-hmm. But I know it sold really well. And and I feel like every person in the city of Richmond saw this show, because, <laughs> except for you. Except for me. <laughs> because my wife still talks about this. It drives her crazy. Anywhere we would go, people would stop me and go, hey, you were nanny, get your gun. <laughs> I mean, this so, went on for a couple years. Oh, really? Wow. So I was like, oh my God, did every person in the world see this show? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it did really well. Yeah. Well, I have the review from Style Magazine, at least. Oh. And they said... They were concerned whether you would have the vocal range to handle this role, hmm. <laughs> which I think is hilarious. It is. It's not that hard. Oh, really? It's it's not it's not that hard. Okay. 
Well, apparently you've impressed the Style <laughs> Weekly critic at the time, which was not me. You know, one of the things that gets talked about about the revival is the choreography. Apparently they amped up the mm-hmm. choreography. How was, I know Leslie Owens Harrington worked on it for your production. How was that choreography? I thought it was amazing. First of all, there were 25 people in the show on the Willow Lawn stage. Which is not very big. It's, no. <laughs> I mean, so the fact that she could get that many people to dance on a turntable mm. was, I mean, incredible. Yeah. And and I'm just going to throw this out. It was the most beautiful ensemble Aww. you've ever seen. Yeah. Every single person was like model material. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They were all so gorgeous but um, and danced like crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. there was there was not a weak link in that ensemble. Really? It was so good. Yes. That's, it's, that's one of the things that I've talked about a lot with other theater writers and theater critics is that it's hard sometimes, I think, for a choreographer to work with a big cast where you might have a lot of different capabilities. Yeah. Not this one. Not they this could one. do anything. They were so good. Yeah. So where does this, I mean, you've played so many amazing roles. Where does this fit? I mean, you said you love to talk about it, but where does it fit in your pantheon of roles? It's pretty far up there. Yeah. I mean, it really is. When I consider just how much fun it was. Yeah. It was so much, we had such a blast that summer. And like I said, the songs, just to get to sing those songs every night was amazing. It's pretty high up there. And also, it's one that I think I did a pretty good job with. (laughs) There are other shows that I I loved doing and I kind of went, yeah, I love doing that, but I don't know that I was that good in it. But this one, I went, I feel like, you know how there are roles where you have to, you know, really dig deep into the text and figure out what you're doing and find all the things. What's your motivation? Yeah. And then there are (laughs) other roles that you just slide into and go, ah, this is, this fits me so well. And that's how I felt about this one. I felt like this just fits me so well. And, and it was, you know, it was just a joy. That's awesome. Yeah. But you're not a sharpshooter in real life. (laughs) No, I am really not. We went out to Phil's, was it out? Did we go out to Phil's? farm he has a farm out in um ashland mm. or somewhere out there and we did what do they call it when you shoot mm. the clay pigeons oh skeet shooting yes we did okay. that i was the worst <laughs> i was the worst so did you have to do weeks and weeks of training then so you could do the role no <laughs> no <laughs> because we didn't shoot anything Although, here's an interesting thing. Annie Oakley shot from her hip. This is something, actually, I don't even know that I researched this. Someone else told me this. So whenever I would shoot the gun, I would shoot it from my hip. Oh, that's so wild. Um, So that was a kind of a weird thing. I I didn't even realize that's where that idiom comes from. I just, if you're shooting from the hip is like being frank with people or something. Right. Wow. So I'm going to ask you for a second to go from theater actress to theater lover and each of the shows that I cover I give a grade Mm -hmm. and I gave this one a B plus mostly I mean and it's it's not fair honestly it's not fair because I haven't seen the whole production based on the clips and based on what I read what would you give this show I'm so close to it I would give it an A plus just for the Irving Berlin score sure I love the story yeah the the thing that I might say, yeah, if you want to take some points off for, it's kind of old-fashioned. So I can see people maybe not loving that side of it. It's right. kind of overdone, <laughs> or it used to be overdone. Nobody does it anymore at all. Right. So I would maybe, if you want to take points off it for that, I could see it. But for me, it's mm-hmm. it's an A+. plus. 
All right. Well, and also something that's old fashioned, some of those old fashioned dynamics, sometimes that's awesome. You know, sometimes that's really fun. Yeah. What I think is unfortunate, another thing that's unfortunate is that this is captures such a specific time too, like an entertainment time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason there it even has the song, there's no business like show business is because this is, this is the show business of the late 19th century, right. you know? And so I think it's a really interesting, I don't know, snow globe of capturing this time and this time in entertainment specifically, not to mention the, the interpersonal dynamics and the racial dynamics or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah it's it's problematic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but such, I mean, I think also, you know, one of the things that we didn't cover in the extensive plot summary, but, you know, you have two, eventually you have two competing Wild West shows mm-hmm. that both end up essentially being, going broke. I don't know, to me, some of those financial entertainment dynamics, as we're talking about the writer's strike and all these other things right now, it's kind of like, you know, some things never change, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, entertainment is always struggling to make ends meet. Yep. Stars are always having to deal with their egos in a different way, still kind of relevant today. Yes. Well, is there anything else you would like to say about your experience with Annie Get Your Gun? I don't think so. I think I told you everything. <laughs> uh, well, not everything, but I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, if there's any dirt, behind the scenes dirt that you want to uh, dig up now, you know. I started dating Jenny during this run. Oh, you did? Yes. Aw, well, that's yeah, I mean, that puts it in a nice. special place. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, cool. Well, I think that'll do it. Okay, wonderful. Thanks, Dave. All right, thank you. Okay. What? My defenses are down. She's broken my resistance, and I don't know where I am. So for folks who don't know, the Ginny that Robin talks about right at the end there is Ginny Willard. She's a longtime stage manager and stage professional in Central Virginia. She's really great behind the scenes worker who has made uh, a lot of Richmond shows run like clockwork. And she and Robin have been together for, I think, over 20 years now. And so I think it's kind of cute to think that they got to know each other uh, during Annie Get Your Gun uh, many years ago. So thank you for listening to this podcast. And- and we'll be back in two weeks. In the meantime, uh, like I said, please reach out, timbertodpods at gmail.com. Wanted to let you know that the theme music is by my lovely little son, who's not so little anymore, Mason Timberline. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Bye.